my name is Michael Gadway. I remember one time they asked Roy, are you enlightened? You know that's a trap, right? If you say yes, you're arrogant. If you say no, you're unworthy. But his response was, it was brilliant, and it was um, both subtle and profound at the same time. He said, um, I am very awake, and I awaken more every day. And the minute he said that, I had this idea. I said to myself, there it is. That's my personal affirmation. And when I affirm like that, I have this full-blown sense memory of my guru and the fullness of his consciousness and that signature shakti he had that poured out from him. And I feel more connected to him um, in a way that I can't explain. So that's why I shared that with you all today. I hope that was okay. Today's class is on pranayama. Um, it's interesting. When I go out into the yoga world, a lot of times I spend, I start to realize after about 10, 15 minutes, I'm not speaking the same language as them. So the first part of today's class is actually going to making sure that we are on the same page terms-wise. There is going to be a practicum after this part. So there's the three parts. So we're going to be talking about prana, pranayama, and then actually doing some pranayama practice. So one of the things when I go out there, you know, when I was younger, I always used to ask uh, yoga teachers, what is prana? And I always got the exact same pat answer. Oh, it's life force. Well, if you all know me at all, you know my next question was, yeah, but what is it? And then sort of the lights went dim, it got a little dark. <clears throat> the Vedic seers say that prana is the, uh, there are three cosmic forces, one of which is prana. Prana is the most subtle form of energy from which all other energy is derived. Paramahansa Yogananda, in his commentary on the Gita, wrote, Prana is a cross between thought and energy. I think that's kind of brilliant. Today's modern theoretical physicists know there's something smaller than the atom with its nucleus uh, and proton and electron, but they cannot tell us what it is. They can't quantify it yet. So they're referring to it as the God particle. I think that's kind of amazing. And it's really true as well. So... Uh, the first thing we need to do is define the word prana. Like most Sanskrit words, the word itself is not so much as a specific definition as a descriptive term from two uh, roots, prana. Most commonly, it's literally translated as constant motion. It's this idea that we live and breathe in a great ocean of energy that flows and moves. Uh, it's in constant motion. But I have to tell you, that's not my favorite definition. My favorite definition is prana. Na, meaning before breath. David Frawley has reinterpreted that to mean primal breath or first breath. It's this idea that God exhales and the energy flows out into the multiverse, and then there's a pause, God inhales, the energy flows back to the source, there's another pause, and then the cycle begins again and again. And I know God's not a little old man in the chair breathing, but you know, you get the idea that there's this breath moving out and coming back in all the time. So that's the most, my favorite definition is this idea of the first breath or primal breath. Um, prana has qualities and we can describe those qualities and those qualities are important to us as yogis. The first quality of prana is that it has an inherent 
uh, an innate intelligence. And that this intelligence is always, when it can, moving back to the source. And if we, souls, that which we are, participate with this flow back to the source, there is with it an expansion of consciousness. This is important for us, and we'll talk about that later, that there's this intelligence force moving back to the source. The other quality of prana that we need to discuss is this idea that prana is quantumly entangled, meaning what one particle of prana knows, instantaneously, simultaneously, ubiquitously, everywhere, all particles of prana know. Why is this important to us as yogis? Well, it tells us a couple of things. It tells us one is nothing happens in isolation. If anything, the last few months have taught us that nothing happens in isolation. We are all interconnected. What this tells us is that your spiritual practice, your practice of pranayama, not only uplifts your own consciousness, at the same time, every time you uplift your consciousness, you are uplifting consciousness everywhere. Prana is connected everywhere simultaneously. The other thing this quantum entanglement tells us about prana is prana does not recognize duplicity. In other words, your thoughts, your intentions, your actions all must be in alignment in order for your pranayama practice, your spiritual practices, to have the effect you desire. In other words, you can't claim to practice these teachings and then go out and be a schmuck all day and expect results to be forthcoming. That's really what it means. And that's in alignment with Roy Jean Davis's teachings, this idea that right diet, right lifestyle, uh, emotional and you know, psychological maturity, all that is in alignment with what he taught. In a more fundamental parlance, I could say, well, you can't lie to God. And that's really true when it comes to prana. It is quantumly entangled. So the question becomes, what's required of us as yogis in order to have an effective pranayama practice? Well, it's sakya. You may have heard that word before from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. is Ashtanga Yoga, Asta-Anga Yoga, uh, Pada 2, I think it starts around Sutra 28. It's part of the yamas and the niyamas. Most often it's interpreted as truthfulness. But in this case, I'm going to, you're probably already getting to know me, offer you an alternative definition for sakya, and that is authenticity. This idea that uh, you have expression and form of the truth, sat. This is a requirement on the spiritual path, and it's a requirement for effective pranayama practice. So sakya. The soul, that which we are, uses prana in a couple ways. One is it uses it to animate. It uses it to enliven. The soul also uses it to transmit cellular intelligence. Prana is so important to the soul that in Ayurveda we say death of the body does not occur when the soul leaves the body. Death of the body occurs when the soul leaves the body and takes the prana with it. That's how important it is to this practice. Yoga physiology says that prana, they call it soul force here, comes in through the medulla oblongata and then moves up into the higher brain centers and then is distributed down and out through the lower sixth chakra and the dozens of chakras, chakras up as well into the other parts of the body. 
by the way, if this is the sixth chakra, the medulla oblongata, often it's referred to as the mouth of God. I've never read that, but that's what they tell me. If this is the sixth chakra, this is the positive pole, the medulla is the negative pole. And so prana, here they're called soul force, comes in through the medulla oblongata. Okay, I think that's important to understand. And then it's distributed down and out. Okay, so that's the part about prana that I wanted to share with you. Before we move on to pranayama, does anybody have any questions about prana? So prana is very important. You know, we consider ourselves yogis, but we're also pranis. Prani means pranic being. Part about yoga is this idea of mastery of prana. Being a yogi master also is a master of pranayama. And the way we do that is through pranayama. One of the things I want to make sure that you know, it's sort of a burr under my spiritual saddle. Pranayama is not breath work. It's not. I don't know why they use it out there, but if anything, it's prana work using the breath. But it's not breath work. So let's make sure that we don't use that moving forward, that idea. Okay. And we're going to talk about why. So if we define pranayama, almost always it's defined as life force control. I'm sure everybody's very familiar with that. I would like to offer you an alternative definition for that as well. Pranayama also means life force master. This idea that as yogis, as pranis, we master the life force as our consciousness gains so does our control of the life force. But there's another definition of pranayama that I would like to offer you. And by the way, this definition does not come without controversy. About half the Sanskrit experts say, this is a fine interpretation I'm going to give you. The other half of the Sanskrit experts say, there's no way they would ever use this. In Sanskrit and Latin and its derived languages, when a word ends in a vowel, and the next word begins in the same vowel, often one of those vowels is dropped and the words are joined together. So what I'm suggesting to you, and I'm not telling you this is the way it is, I'm just offering you another way maybe to think about your pranayama practice, is that it was possible, instead of it being pranayama, originally it was pranayama. Ayama here means expansion of, unrestricted flow of. It's this idea that our pranayama practice is going to encourage an unrestricted flow of prana. Almost always this breath, breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, breath of expansion. Okay, I think that's sort of an important concept, and here's why I think it is. I go out there in yoga studios all the time, and I see people doing pranayama work, and it's, you know, breath work, and, and they're like... And you can see them and they're just, they're struggling with it and they're, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to make it flow. And I, 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 well, what happens when you're reinforcing this, I'm going to make it happen? You're reinforcing ahamkara, uh, asmita, this I amness, this small sense of self that Roy referred to as the ego. Well, remember we talked about when prana returns to the source, with it is an expansion of consciousness. If you're in there and you're trying to make it happen, you're trying to force it to happen, what are you reinforcing? You're reinforcing that boundary between awareness and consciousness, that small sense of self. And we want that small sense of self, that small sense of awareness to expand and the boundaries to thin, denude until it bursts into oneness. This idea of I am the bubble 
make me the sea. This is what pranayama practice really should be doing. It should be expanding our consciousness. And if you get in there and you try to manhandle prana, the opposite happens. What are some of the signs that you're pushing or pulling prana too much? Well, for one thing, ungroundedness. Too much energy is flowing through you because you are not surrendered to the process. And there are a few things you can do to assist that. One is to back off. Listen to your intuitive nature. How is your prana? Let it be sort of what they call now an organic process. Your pranayama practice can deepen and grow and become something if you just surrender to the process and focus with it to it. There are a few things you can do to stay grounded, by the way, and often it has to do with more grounding the lower chakras below four. One, as I see Kathleen Railing is here, she teaches Qigong. Qigong, uh, Roy advocated the practice of Qigong because it grounds you. And I remember he used to say to well, me, but others, he would say, don't get goofy on me. Well, that's what happens when the pranayama, you're pushing it too hard. You're not surrendered to the flow of it. So we want to make sure that our pranayama practice is paying attention to that flow. Okay, not trying to force anything. So instead of pranayama, maybe consider this idea of pranayama. So what I want to tell you is that prana follows breath and thought. And by thought here, I mean intention. So thought tension. Prana follows breath and thought tension. Okay, notice I use the word follows. Breath and thought don't push prana around. Prana naturally follows where they're going. So you don't have to get in there and try to make it go somewhere. It will naturally return to the source, and we can learn to nurture that, participate with that. We don't have to get in there and let the ego do the work. So when you're doing your pranayama work, just let the little self step out of the way. Allow this innate intelligence to flow forth, okay? And as a matter of fact, one time in class, Roy said to us that it is possible to direct and guide prana with thought alone. I think that's really important. Okay. So the analogy that I use when it come when I'm out there teaching for pranayama practices, uh, let's say you and your family, your friends are gonna go to the movies. Y'all remember what that's like going to the movies? You go out to get in the car together. Your family, your friends are the prana. The vehicle is the breath. You all pile into the vehicle. Now what? Where are you going to go? Well, you're going to go where you intend to go. You're going to put the car in drive and you intend to go to the movie. Without the intent being there, it's like putting the car in neutral, revving the gas, and then complaining because you ain't going nowhere, right? And this is what breath work is out like in those yellow. They're in the car and they're revving the gas, but they're not going anywhere. So you have to make sure that your intention is there as well. And the way to do that is to place your attention at the place of intention. Put your attention at the place of intention when you're doing your pranayama practice. Then the prana will naturally go towards that place where your attention, your thoughts are. So as we get ready to go into the practicum part of this, I hope you all will participate with me. 
there are three parts to your pranayama practice. There is, of course, the breath. There's also the intention. Every pranayama needs to have the proper intention. And then there's form. Your form has to be, you know, I remember Roy, when he talked about meditation, sometimes he would say, when you meditate, sit up like you mean business. It's the same idea with pranayama. When you're doing your pranayama practice, sit up like you mean business. Have it your, be a dynamic uh, form. The other part of form is often some of these pranayamas come with mudras. What I want to say, and everybody knows mudra means gesture, right? So what I want to say about the mudras is I've had students get so uptight about their mudras they couldn't practice their pranayamas. Mudras are important, but that's not the be all end all. If you, I've had someone I was teaching alternate nostril breathing with, and they couldn't function unless I could tell them exactly where their fingers were going. And I was teaching them in a way they hadn't learned before, so they literally couldn't practice. Let your mudras not be the be all end all. Don't let them own you for your pranayama practice. Okay? And the last thing I want to say before we actually do a practicum is. I'm going to quote Gestalt here, and that is, the river already flows. Don't push the river. You don't need to push the river. It already flows. Okay? So, almost all pranayama practice is designed to assist the flow of prana back to the source. We certainly know that as Kriyabhan. Okay, so we, when we start to do the practicum here, there's uh, some contraindications to pranayama. Uh, number one of the contraindications is if you're pregnant, um, if during menses, if you have your immunocompromised um, heart disease or high blood pressure, stay away from the more dynamic pranayamas. Um, you can always do the balancing ones or the cooling ones, but the more dynamic ones, just you don't need to do those. And the second one is dizziness and pain are stop signs. They are not yield signs to push through, okay? A lot of times in the yoga studios, they're like, just keep pushing. No, dizziness and pain are stop signs. Just let the practice go for a while. You can pick it up later. If you have pain, go see your doctor. There are only about 20 or 24 pranayamas proper, but there are dozens and dozens of variations of these pranayamas. So some yogis claim there are hundreds of pranayamas. Well, there are, and they give different names to them, but they almost all boil down to the same two dozen pranayamas or so. Today, I'm just going to share um, maybe seven with you. Uh, we're going to do two balancing pranayamas, followed by two energizing, followed by two cooling, and another balancing pranayama. So just seven. I think you'll enjoy doing these. Almost all of them are designed to assist us to enter into meditation. Um, the first one we're going to do, actually most of our uh, Kriya band cousins teach this as the very first pranayama on their way to initiate Kriya pranayama initiation. And it's the simple even count rhythmic breathing. Surprisingly simple but an incredibly effective pranayama. It, the intent is to balance out the breath and with it the mind, calming the mind so that there's better focus. It also turns us inward very easily. This, this, this um, pratyahara, turning inward, happens effortlessly when we focus on the breath. So uh, would you all like to breathe with me?
That's what we're going to do first. Okay. So when I'm at home practicing even count breathing, I usually do a six count. But I notice um, when I'm out there teaching, six count can be a little long for people. So if you're teaching it, I use a four count when I'm teaching. A lot of times, uh, yoga teachers will teach the breath like a box. Okay. I want to tell you that the breath is never a box. There are never sharp edges to it. In this Kriya Yoga tradition, we do not advocate or teach forceful retention of breath. Okay? The breath has four parts to it. Um, there's the inhalation, which then surrenders to the exhalation, and there's a pause. And then the exhalation, which then surrenders to the inhalation, and there's another pause. So it's this idea that it's more of an ellipse without a beginning or an end, okay, for several times today. So we're going to use that kind of thinking when we're doing our even count rhythmic breathing. So we're going to sit upright and relax. And then take a deep breath in and let it go. And breathe in with me for one, two, three, four. And pause for one, two, three, four, and exhale for one, two, three, four, and pause for two, three, four, and inhale for two, three, four, and pause for two, three, four, and exhale. Last time, pause, three, four, and inhale for two, three, four, and pause for two, three, exhale, two, three, four. Take a deep breath in and let it go. Incredibly simple and effective pranayama for turning inward balancing the brain. The other thing even count breathing does is it quickly brings us to what Herbert Benson referred to as the relaxation response. This, when we drop into parasympathetic and brain waves balance out. We're going to do that again, only this time I want you to remember that as the inhalation surrenders to the exhalation and the exhalation surrenders to the inhalation, there is that brief pause when you are breathless. And it is at the moment of breathlessness that you are also without thought. So this time, instead of paying attention to the breath, I would like you to pay acute attention to the pause. Okay. Sitting upright again. And breathing in for one, two, three, four. And pause. Exhaling for two, three four, and pause. Inhaling for two, three, four, and pause. Exhaling for two, three, four, and pause. Last time, inhale for two, three, four, and pause. Exhale. 
and relax. Very simple practice, very effective. Okay, that would be the first one we teach. It's a great way to drop into your parasympathetics, balance out brain waves, focus, turn inward all at the same time. The next one we're going to practice is Nadi Shodhana. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. That's one Roy taught very often. Alternate nostril breathing. It's a balancing pranayama. We use the one left hemisphere of the brain during the day. We alternate back and forth between hemispheres in a 24-hour period. About two and two and a half hours of the day we spend in the left brain, and then it alternates, and then we move into the right brain, right hemisphere, for two, two and a half hours as well. Nadi Shodhana balances out those brain waves so that we're, we're using them equally. Then there are our ability to focus. We're calmer, we're able to focus more. It helps us in meditation. One of the reasons it does it is that there is a nerve cluster here. Roy used to go like that when he talked about this nerve cluster here. Uh, it's a cluster. And when we're doing Nadi Shodhana, alternate nostril breathing, we're stimulating that nerve cluster. This should be our Kriya band signal right here. We're stimulating that. Okay, and so again, in Nadi Shodhana, there's probably a dozen variations of it. We're going to do the simple one. The mudra is thumb to the right side of the right nostril. These two fingers, or a single finger here at the third eye, and then the ring finger goes to the left of the no left nostril. Okay, and the process is we're going to close off the left nostril, breathe in through the right nostril then close off the right nostril, open the left, exhale through it, breathe into the left-hand nostril, close it off, and exhale through the right nostril. That's one round. So we're gonna do a couple rounds. Again, with Nadi Shodhana, uh, dizziness is a stop sign. In Ayurveda, one of the seats of prana, of vata, is here at the sinuses. We know the other seat is at the large intestine, but this is a very important place for vata as well. The subtlest form of vata is prana. So when you're balancing and stimulating this whole area, you're also balancing your vata and you're balancing your prana at the same time. And your intention and your focus is here at this sixth chakra center. So you're focusing all in here and you're balancing that whole thing at the same time to assist you in your meditation process. Okay, so let's do a couple rounds. Right thumb on the right nostril, here at the third eye, ring finger to the left of the nostril, close off the left, breathe in through the right. Close off the right, open the left, exhale through the left. Inhale through the left. Close it off, open the right, exhale through the right. Again, inhaling through the right. Closing it off, opening the left. Inhaling through the left. Closing it off, exhaling through the right. One more round, breathing in to the right. Closing it off, opening the left, exhaling through the left. Inhaling through the left, close it off, open the right, exhale through the right. Nice. When you're home, find your own rhythm. You can work up to five minutes or so. You know your Nadi Shodhana, your alternate nostril breathing has been effective because you'll be breathing out of both nostrils equally. 
when you're breathing primarily out of one nostril, if it's the left nostril, you're more right brain, right hemisphere brain dominant. If you're breathing primarily out of your right nostril, you're going to be more left brain dominant. And you want to balance those out so brain waves are working equally. So the next two are more activating, enlivening pranayamas. Almost all of these pranayamas, we're going to do um, Kapalabhati, Shining Skull, and we're going to do Bhastrika. The intent for these is to awaken, enlighten. But part of their uh, function also is to cleanse. So they're, these more activating, intense pranayamas are very cleansing as well at the same time. Um, they're done through, they increase Agni, both in perception and throughout the whole body. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Bhastrika, Swami Rama said every atom in the body is energized with a Bhastrika practice. Both of these practices, uh, do seven or eight each and work up to two or three rounds throughout the day. It is said that 10 minutes of Bastrika practice is like running three miles aerobically. I don't know if that's true because I've never worked up that much Bastrika. But, um, also, these are done in and out through the nostrils only. All right, so for, for Kapala body, Shining Skull, by the way, we're going to use the diaphragm for both of them. If you've ever done gross anatomy, you know that the diaphragm isn't this way. It's a dome underneath that separates the thorax from the abdomen, and it's in 3D. It's, the diaphragm literally means barrier, and it's the consistency of wet canvas, and it's kind of slimy. And when the diaphragm expands, it expands down like this in a fullness, and when it contracts, it contracts up in a fullness like that as well, okay? So the stomach moving in and out like this isn't actually what moves the diaphragm. It's almost a symptom of the diaphragm moving. But we can manipulate that system to force the diaphragm to go back and forth quicker. And in both these that we're going to do next, it's exactly what we're doing. We're forcing the breath in, and then we're forcing the breath out through the nose. Okay? For Kapalabhati, we, the, the exhalation is forceful, but the inhalation is passive. Okay, so we're going to force the exhalation and then passively allow the inhalation to happen. It takes me a few times to practice this to get it right. The form is just sitting upright. I tend to put my hands on my thighs and hold, hold up straight like this. Chin is parallel to the floor. Your intention, again, is placed here at the third eye, okay, because we're stimulating this entire third eye center this peak of bottom and it's like this so it's a very forceful exhalation through the nostrils and a passive inhalation and i'm already i can feel just doing that a little bit so we want to try with me you may have to wipe your screens off when you're done sitting upright and then we exhale breathing in and exhale You're going to feel your diaphragm contract. The stomach's going to go in and out forcefully. Nice and relax. Again, dizziness is a stop sign. You can work up to about two or three rounds of those, seven or eight each. You'll do about one per second when you're comfortable. Okay? Very heating. The next pranayama is also 
<clears throat> and activating pranayama, bhashvika or bellows breath. This is a little bit different because we're not just focused here at this center. We're going to focus on the entire body. Vashtrika especially stimulates the solar plexus, the third chakra. This is really interesting to me. Part of that reason it's so interesting is it's the Manipura chakra. Many of you have heard of Manipura, the third chakra, and you've heard it defined as city of gems or gems, place of gems. But there's an alternative definition I'd like to give you in Sanskrit, and that is that which must come before the fourth. It's this idea that your third chakra must be strong for the fourth chakra, the door, to open. So Bhastrika is one of those chakras which stimulates the solar plexus, enlivens the entire system, and it's very, very heating. So both Bhastrika and Kapalabhati, don't do them in the evening before bed. You don't want to invigorate yourself while you're trying to relax and go to sleep. You can do these in the morning. I also recommend doing them on an empty stomach. Um, it's pretty tough to do them on a full stomach. Uh, you'll upset your stomach. So Bhastrika is almost the same as we just learned. You're going to forcefully use the diaphragm in the stomach to move the air in and out through the nostrils, but this time it's a forceful exhalation and a forceful inhalation. When you first begin using Bhastrika, I do it in the mornings, by the way, as a stimulator, you're going to do about one breath per second. As you become more and more adept at this, as your practice naturally expands, you don't have to force it, you'll end up doing about two Bhastrikas per second, do seven or eight, work up to three rounds. Uh, Swami Rama said doing three rounds of Bhastrika a day will change your entire life again. I'm not sure about that. But. So for Bhastrika, you can do it on three levels. You can sit down and do it, but then it can get more and more dynamic as you practice. The next level of practice would be on your knees. Okay? So that you're there. then the, the third and most dynamic practice is you can see, you're going to stand up, the hands will go on the thighs, and then you will kind of hollow the, the abdomen. Okay? The other way to improve that increase it even more is you can do the mula bandha, this idea of tightening the lower root chakra, tighten the anal sphincter and pull the entire pelvic floor up and in and hold it while you're doing the bashtrika. This really increases the heat of the body as well. And uh, we're increasing the mula in general, and mula, here I'm using the term mula to mean foundation. The bhastrika, we're going to hold a solid foundation throughout the entire bhastrika. Okay? So it takes me a few times to get into this, but we're going to forcefully exhale and forcefully inhale. Like so. And I'm already starting to sweat. <clears throat> so we're going to do that. Try that just one per second. Try seven or eight of them. And then you'll know because if it's too much, you'll start to get a little dizzy. Are we ready? Hands on thighs, <clears throat> hollow this abdomen out a little bit. And again, we're going to use the stomach to pull in and out the diaphragm forcefully. Ready and go. Big breath in, let it go. Can you all feel the heat building up in the body? Keep trying. I will break into a sweat after about three or four minutes. Mm -hmm.
Any questions so far? Okay. So both of those are activating. You don't want to do either one of those with health challenges. Okay. They're very good for increasing Agni, both the perception Agni and the Agni of the body. But they also mess with the energies. So if you're having challenges, you don't want to interfere with the body's energy. So the next one we're going to do, we're going to do two cooling breaths now. And this is, the first one we're going to do is Sitali, spelled S-H-I-T-A-L-I. Sitali literally means cooling breath. What I want to tell you about Sitali and cooling breath is almost everybody forgets the second part of this. So they're very good at the first part, but I want you to be aware of the second part. This cooling breath cools down the entire system. So you can use it when heat, emotional heat, physical heat, when you're frustrated, angry. And again, it's a great one to use when you want to sit to meditate, but life is, you're feeling as if it's moving too fast for you and you need to calm down and cool down. Remember I said there's two parts to this breath. When we're pulling the breath in, it's cooling. But what everybody seems to forget is, as you exhale, you want to let the heat out of the body through the breath, okay? So Sitali, about 25% of the population can't do it because you have to be able to roll your tongue. And that's a genetic trait that some don't have. If you can't roll your tongue, it's okay. Uh, the next breath I'm gonna teach you is a cooling breath and you don't have to roll your tongue to do it. So you'll be all right. Sitali is done by rolling the tongue and then pulling the breath over the tongue. But what I want you to do is to concentrate. Again, place your attention at the place of intention. You're intending to cool the whole system down so that you can calm and be focused and meditate. When you pull the air over the tongue, feel it hit the tip of the tongue. Feel the cold roll through the back of the tongue. Feel the cold air on the back of your throat. Feel the cold air coming down into your lungs. But when you exhale, Feel the heat of the air flowing out of the body, okay? So you're bringing in cold and you're letting out heat. Also, by letting out heat, you're going to let your emotions calm down as well. So it's real simple. It's just, don't forget the second part, letting the heat out. The breath is long, it's pulled, it's gentle, okay? So let's all, you want to try to get everybody to stick out their tongue and roll it? and pull it in. And exhale out the heat. Nice, simple, right? Effortless. I actually do this outside in the heat. <clears throat> Sometimes people think I'm look crazy. The other way is we can unbutton our shirts. That'll cool us off about two or three degrees. Okay, the next cooling breath, the next pranayama we're gonna do is sit kari, or hissing breath. This is for those people who can't roll their tongue. It's done by gently clutching the teeth and pulling the air across the teeth into the back of the throat. But the tongue, the tongue is the same as, does everybody remember Ketri Mudra? The tongue comes back, the tip comes up and to the soft palate. Okay. This is actually an important part of Sitkari, and I'll tell you why. Because it's like African elephant's ears. 
with all those veins in your ears, that's the way they cool off. There's all these veins under your tongue, and when the cold air hits the back of your tongue, under your tongue, it helps cool off the entire system. So tipping the tongue back and the tip like this is very good for that, okay? And again, breathing in the cold, but you're going to exhale out the heat. And let the heat go. And again. Let the heat go. Y'all want to try? Ready? And exhale the heat. So when you're clenching your cheek, try to smile at the same time. It's challenging. I'll change your attitude. And let the heat go. Okay, so those are two real simple cooling pranayamas. <clears throat> Again, trying to balance the whole system and cool it down. So the last pranayama I want to show you, I actually learned from Dr. Justin O'Brien. He came to CSA in the early 90s. And he taught us yoga nidra. And I have been taught yoga nidra using 61 points to get into yoga nidra. But Dr. O'Brien taught us yoga nidra by using what he called the washing breath. The washing breath is so effective at balancing out prana and calming the whole system down that I ended up using it in my medical practice to help people with onset insomnia. It is incredibly effective to put people to sleep. You're going to try not to go to sleep in the washing breath, especially if you're practicing yoga nidra. So if you'd like to lay down to do this, that's great. We can do it sitting up, but so in Savasana, you know, that's considered the hardest of all yoga asanas, right? Savasana, and I think it's because it's hard enough to fall asleep. The washing breath is simply this. You breathe in using the nose. Remember the nose is the organ of breath. You're gonna to pretend to breathe in through the soles of your feet, and as you breathe in, you breathe in, imagine the breath coming all the way up to the top of your head. And then you exhale, and the exhale comes down the body and all the way out the soles of the feet. And that's one round. Let's do two or three rounds of that, and then we're going to change it up just a little bit. So being comfortable and relaxed. Inhale through the soles of your feet. Pull the breath all the way up to the top of your head and exhale down the body and out the soles of your feet. Inhale again through the soles of your feet, pulling the breath all the way up to the top of the head, and exhale down the body and out the soles of your feet. Inhaling in through the soles of your feet, up to the top of the head, down and out the soles of your feet. Take a deep breath in. Let it go. Now we're going to do a washing breath, but pay attention to my instructions. We're going to change it up just a little bit. <clears throat> this time, nice and relaxed. Take a breath in. Let it go. Breathe in to the soles of your feet up to your ankles only. Exhale down and out the soles of your feet. Breathe in through the soles of your feet up to your knees. Exhale down and out the soles of your feet. Breathing in through the soles of your feet, come all the way up to the hips. Exhale down and out the soles of your feet. Breathing in through the soles of your feet, come all the way up to the heart. Exhale down and out the soles of your feet. 
Again, breathing into the soles of your feet, come all the way up to your shoulders. Exhale down and out, the soles of your feet. Breathing in this time all the way up to the head. Exhaling down and out, the soles of your feet. Again, breathing into the soles of your feet, all the way up to the top of your head. Exhaling down the body and out the soles of your feet. One last time, breathing into the soles of your feet, bring the breath all the way up to the top of your head. And exhale down and out the soles of your feet. Okay. Take a deep breath in and let it go. So, <clears throat> Everybody relaxed. That's the class on pranayama. It's really not a class on breathing. It's a class on pranayama. And again, what I encourage is this idea of surrender, allowing the river to flow. <clears throat> Don't push the river. It already flows. By practicing your pranayama class, and as Kriya Danzi know how important pranayama practice is, in a surrendered attitude, there is a natural expansion of consciousness. You don't have to struggle with it. You just have to practice. Any questions before we sign off? Everybody doing okay? Wow. Michael, Michael, I had a question on the um, the Kapalabhate and Bastrika breaths okay. since they're heating. Mm -hmm. Do you not want to do them if you um, if you're if you're a strong pitta person or if it's really hot outside, or would you do them and then follow with a cooling breath? Or what would you suggest? So your Ayurvedic constitution, if it's a strong pitta, if it's not in balance, then perhaps you wouldn't want to do these too intensely. But if you are a pitta, but aren't you are you pitta kapha pitta are you pitta pitta? Pitta vada. Pitta vada. Mm -hmm. uh, you should be able to do them gently. Okay. Right? Some of the great, one of the great times to do Bastrika breath, by the way, has anybody ever gotten sort of bone cold? You know, that idea where you're so cold, I have to get in a hot bathtub in order to heat up sometime, but your blood pressure drops. Bastrika breath is really great if you're bone cold to heat you, heat you up at the core temperature along with, you know, ginger tea and, and pepper. Um, but if you're overly heated, stay away from those activating ones. Yeah. But if your pit is not in balance, it's going to push the pit out of balance more. For sure. What was the other part of the question? Um, just if you would you utilize the cooling breaths to maybe counteract the heating of the other two. Can you do, you mean do the cooling breath after doing the pitta breaths? The, the, Correct. I would probably choose one or the other. Okay. To do, you don't need to do them both. It's sort of counter-effective. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. Michael, thank you so much. I would just would like to ask you: um, Is there any information where we can reread it or get more information about it? So the, the, there's all sorts of research you can do on pranayama yourself, um, online even if you want to. I think Ron has told me that he is recording these. I don't know when they're going to be available. Pascal, do you know that answer? 
Um, yeah, they're being recorded and Ron is putting them in a podcast format on the CSA website. So uh, we don't have an ETA yet. It's just kind of ongoing process. So we can keep checking the website and uh, looking for it there. But most of this that I've shared with you is me acquiring this information over the years. Uh, I don't, the best book I ever read on breathing was by, again, Dr. Justin O'Brien. He has a book called Running and Breathing, and it's a brilliant book. He's part of the Himalayan Institute. Uh, that would be the book I would read to understand breath work, um, not so much pranayama, but breath work itself. Okay. Anybody else? And David Frawley, he has books out there uh, that approach this subject as well. And he does some good work on that too. Let's come together for just a centering moment, taking our meditation posture, our Dhyana Asana, pelvis tip slightly forward, resting on our sit bones. Back is comfortably erect, chin parallel to the floor, closing our eyes and raising our gaze, looking out into inner space. Take a deep breath in, let it go. Inwardly acknowledge your own divinity, that at the core we are pure existence beings, units of pure existence beings, essences of being. Divine Mother, Blessed Father, Beloved Friend God, may your light shine steadily in the sanctuary of our continued devotion, and may we see this same light awaken in all hearts everywhere. Om Namaste. I hope you all have a good day. Good to see you all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Michael. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you, Michael. Namaste. Namaste.